Abolition. 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 I walk alone. I'm a soldier for life. The battle I'm fighting has no ending. Although its beginning could start at any time. I'm always standing for something. And constantly fighting to keep on falling for anything. I'm a silver fox by day and a gorilla by night. I'm a soldier who has forgotten how to smile and doesn't remember laughter. There are still dreams and deaths due to the soldiers before me. I must be a soldier, a solid soldier, in order to smooth the path for those who are falling behind me. I live at the bottom of one of nature's coldest seas. I come up every now and then to spit fire. To struggle is to go the distance. To win is not to care how far one must go. George.
Sylvester Bell, San Diego Black Panther Party member murdered by the US organization. August 21st, 1971. Black Panther Party Field Marshal George L. Jackson assassinated at San Quentin Prison, California. Three guards and two inmate turncoats were killed. Three wounded. It is also a month of radical resistance. August 22nd, 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, 5 Pacific, 
Five Mountain and Four Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org and on all major podcast platforms. My name is Yusuf Hassan, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Max Parthas. Peace, Max. Peace, Yusuf. I'm here at the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, uh, along with Brother Tag Harmon. Peace, peace. Black August Resistance. That's right. Peace, Brother Peace, brother Max. Peace, Brother Tag. So last week you heard about the three abolitionist Yankees meeting up in Sumter, South Carolina. You know, Max Tag and myself broadcasted live from the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center in Sumter, South Carolina. And we talked about Reconstruction, Yankees, Carpetbaggers, Scalawags, what those labels mean and how they connect to today's slavery abolitionist movement. We also discussed the five-state solution proposed by the Republic of New Africa. And we also shared that six states where constitutional slavery abolition could become a reality in 2022. When we are successful on November 8th, that will make a total of 10 states who have explicitly abolished slavery without exception for the first time in U.S. history. Well, this week, in our first episode of Black August 2022, Martin Luther King Jr. warned that we will face three evils in the world, racism, poverty, and war. In the 50-plus years since his assassination, racism has returned to its roots of forced bondage, rebuilding a global system of enslavement through international prison industries. We've witnessed the largest mass displacement in mankind's history with some 82.4 million forced out of their homes. Unwarranted hubris among dictators has brought us dangerously close to a world-shattering war with the most advanced military armies on Earth. Fires rage out of control both literally and figuratively. Plagues unseen for generations have returned, and the threat of nuclear annihilation has never been closer. In America, we face civil war, mass killings, and political coups at the highest level of government. White nationalists have become more emboldened than they have been since Reconstruction, saying the quiet parts, saying the quiet parts out loud for all to hear with no repercussions, all while slavery abolitionists work to finally end constitutional slavery in the U.S. for the first time. Enter the dragons of Black August 2022. Also, the free premiere of the documentary Slave State 2022 happens on August 14th at East Baton Rouge Parish River Center Library, 250 North Boulevard, 4th Floor, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. That time will be 3 p.m. to 4.30 p.m. Come through and meet Max, Tribal, Curtis, and the Decarcerate Louisiana organizers. I will also be in the building as well. And, of course, We've got that flaming hot fire music mixes, just like you heard in the opening track, along with some poetry and our Bridging the Gap segment, which brings the voices of the abolitionist ancestors back to life for a new generation. So before we jump into tonight's topic, Max, how was your week? Oh uh, man, it's been it's been busy. Uh, a lot of changes have occurred. Um, one thing I want to make a correction of is, as you mentioned, we said last week that we have six states that are on the ballot. Um, let me be clear how it works out because we have had some okay. changes. There are five states on the ballot right now for 2022. Alabama, Louisiana, Oregon, Tennessee, and Vermont. 
in those five states, the citizens get to vote this year, November 8th, on whether or not they want legalized slavery in their constitutions. Now, we also have a bill, which is a joint resolution in Florida, to insert anti-slavery language that effectively makes slavery and involuntary servitude illegal in the state of Florida, even as a punishment for a crime. But that has to go through the General Assembly. Uh, it has to be presented there, which means it won't be a, going to law until 2023 if it passes with 60% of the votes. So that's state number six. And there's state number seven, which is Nevada. Nevada has already gone through all of their committees. They are basically on the ballot, but on the 2023 ballot. So when we start in 2023, we've already got a win <laughs> in the cut, ready to go. Uh, so that is the update on the states. Uh, it's been real busy. As I said, uh, at one point, we were planning on going to Tennessee for the anniversary of the Abolish Slavery National Network. But after some discussions, we think uh, it'll be a better idea if we go to Vermont. So the Abolish mm-hmm. Slavery National Network, as well as your hosts here at Abolition Today, are all going to be in Vermont on August 27th and 28th, first for first African Landing Day on the 27th in Vermont, and then we'll have something at the Rich Kemp uh, Center there uh, for the anniversary of the Abolish Slavery National Network. So that happens August 28th. If you're in the Vermont area, come on out and uh, meet everybody. All of the state's representatives in the five states that I mentioned will be there. So you can meet them and ask questions and just enjoy what we have for that day. And then Finally, uh, the 14th, man, we're all going to be out in Louisiana. I'm looking forward to that. Oh, yeah. The documentary Slave State 2022 is out, which is based on Curtis Davis's book, Slave State. Uh, He spent 26 years in Angola prison. And when he came out, he started making all kinds of major impacts and has been influential in changing laws as well as constitutional uh, laws like the 10 and 2 uh, Jim Crow juries in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. He was uh, front and center involved in finding and in, in determining that those were unconstitutional. That is not, it is not constitutional for them to have a 10 2 jury where people are sentenced to death or life in prison. And I think that was uh, Ramos versus Louisiana, was it? That's correct. Yes, Ramos versus Louisiana. So he's still involved in that, trying to make it retroactive as well for uh, brothers like our our family out there in Louisiana. So he'll be there, uh, myself, the rest of the team, and uh, come on out, and it's free. It's our free premiere of Slave State in Louisiana. Yusuf? So it's a lot going on in these next couple, couple of weeks. You know, so really looking forward to that, looking forward to being in Louisiana and looking forward to be back in Vermont for myself. I was able to go up to Vermont for for the uh, Juneteenth event where we actually had the opportunity to be in Battery Park and educate the community there about uh, the true origins of Juneteenth and why that was not the end of slavery in the United States. So... Looking forward to all of that coming up. I, I so, know, uh, man. It, it sounds kind of wild. I guess sometimes even if somebody's just listening for the first time, there's a few shocks going on, I'm sure. 
but that can easily be solved by simply Googling the 13th Amendment <laughs> and reading it. And it might even be the first time you ever actually read it. But just read it. It's only 47 words. Right. And you'll see for yourself exactly what we're talking about. Uh, here in this program, we provide a lot of the history and connections, both past and present. It's funny you mentioned that because the first time you mentioned it to me back in December of uh, 2009 or 2010, I believe. And, you know, here, you know, I thought I knew so much about law. And that was what you said to me. Oh, you know law? Yeah, well, what do you know about the 13th Amendment? And, you know, just my my mind and my path in life just was forever changed at that moment. You know, Max, you have a way of doing that with people because a lot of people say that as well. Um, man, so, uh, sometimes I, I'm, I'm just telling the truth as I know it for a long time. I was telling the truth alone, but not quite. There was a few of us uh, out there, but not many at all. And now look at where we're at. We went from just pulling this truth out and finally showing people what the real connection and problem is to actually getting the solution to it done. Uh, we've abolished slavery in three states so far since 2018 which is epic in itself. And as I mentioned earlier, we got seven more with legislation ready to go. Uh, it's, we put it into people's hands now, you know what I mean? Like, right. It's no right. more of some prison industry saying whether or not they can have slavery. It's up to you, which is why this year is so crucial that you get out and vote. I don't care who you vote for, as long as you vote to end slavery in those states. <laughs> <laughs> That's it right there. So, uh, I want to switch to Brother Tag uh, since, I don't know, maybe this is your first time hearing, you know, that awesome Max mix that he put together in the opening. So I just want to get some feedback from you on the opening track. There was a lot going on. No doubt. Yeah, no, I have been hearing it uh, as as it's been in in progress, and it, it continues to be impactful. Yeah, for sure. You know, a little bit of everything in there. You know, I thought it was uh, very creative to get Tupac doing changes, and he's doing that a cappella over top of Jimi Hendrix's performance at Woodstock, you know, of the uh, Star Spangled Banner. And then just hearing uh, Mumia Abu-Jamal just breaking down all of the historic events of uh, August, you know, and as to why it's called Black August. And, you know, we're looking back at, you know, Field Marshal, uh, Field, Field Marshal George Jackson, Jackson. Mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, his murder and even the thing, the events surrounding around it. So much happened historically oh. just around that event. You know, we talk about uh, August 21st, you know, where his younger brother, you know his his uh what his younger brother uh Jonathan Jackson a few weeks earlier they tried to do the you oh, know tried God. to break mm-hmm. you know break them out of prison and everything and that's how Rochelle McGee actually ended up being pulled into the movement because he was going to court at the time to testify on behalf of someone who was being charged with attacking a guard and you know, I heard an interview of his in the past where he said, you know, he was just there, and when everything went down, they tossed him a gun, and being the revolutionary he was, he just, you know, jumped with him and ran with them. You know, and, of course, uh, young Jonathan, he was 17 years old at the time. You know, he got murdered, and they 
you know, a judge got murdered in the situation. It wasn't them that murdered them. You know, the judge, the judge, and the jurors, and the prosecutor, they were, they were shot by the guards, you know, in, in the van to keep the van from escaping. You know, and then we look at uh, on the heels of that when George gets, you know, back to the prison, you know, he gets murdered by the guards. And so then we know the San Quentin Six comes along. You know, we're talking about Hugo Yogi Pinnell. Uh, who we you know we were fortunate enough to have his daughter Lego Casimir Taylor on the program, you know, and how that whole San Quentin Six situation went down, which is huge, marking that on uh, also the 21st, and then we know a few weeks later that led into Attica. That was sort of like the last straw, leading into you know leading up to the Attica uprising. So it was just so many historical events, even when he's going back to mentioning, you know, August 1619 of Jamestown and August 25th of 67, COINTELPRO and, you know, the, the bombing of the Newark Black Panther Party headquarters and, you know, them uh, raiding uh, Move 9 in 1970. Just so many things. I encourage you all to just go back and listen to that portion again, take notes and then do your research on it. We'll have some information on our Abolition Today page, but it's so much information surrounding what that went down in uh, August at that time, Max. Oh, yeah, that was why I picked it as an opening. It would cover so many bases, of course, um, starting with the poetry by George Jackson, which was read by uh, Brother Gary Dorden, the actor. Uh, in the movie itself, that's the opening scene from the movie, um, and of course, bringing in Tupac's changes, I thought was perfectly fitting, um, and the way it went out with Mumia bringing up all those dates. The one date that he did miss uh, was Emancipation Day, August first, uh, sure. which effectively was the end of the British slave trade and uh, the transatlantic slave trade. So that was one that he missed, and there's many more. That have come about throughout August. You know, uh, Obama accept, acceptance speech was in August. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, uh, Katrina hit in August. Just so many things seem to happen in August, particularly with the Black Liberation Movement as well. Um, so I thought that all of that came together very powerful. I, I think that it could be, a, be seen as a little offensive because people were offended when Jimi Hendrix played the national anthem, you know, in that way. They were offended. Right. And I just added Tupac to it, you know what I mean? So, yeah. <laughs> but we have different Americas. We see America in different ways, uh, you know, than the majority might see it. Uh, and we see the systems of America in very much different ways than the majority majority might see it. So, yeah, that was the things that all, I thought all came into play and before we're done tonight, you're going to know all about what Black August is, why it exists, uh, who it's about, and what it, people do during this month. And um, we're going to pay homage to a number of uh, people throughout the show. But before we do that, maybe we should get into some uh, calls. So I see we got hands up over there. Yeah, sure. Uh, 4843, you are now on Abolition Today. With Max Parthas, Yusuf Hassan, and our guest co-host, Tag Harmon. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, I've painstakingly researched 13th Amendment issues for years, for decades, as a matter of fact. Are you able to hear me? Are you able to hear me? 
Yes, we can hear you. Yes, we're able to hear you. Oh, okay. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Apprendi versus New Jersey decision in 2000 of the United States Supreme Court. But basically what, what happened in Apprendi is um, they would give somebody a trial and convict them of a lesser crime. And then when it came time for the sentencing hearing, the judge, without a jury and without proof beyond a reasonable doubt, would find that the defendant had committed a greater crime and then sentence him uh, for the greater crime that he was never actually convicted of. And that flies in the face of the 13th Amendment's duly convicted language. Um, what, but what lawyers have been doing is just litigating the Apprendi violations without, you know, jumping right into the fact that, hey, we've got a 13th Amendment violation here. These guys were never convicted of the greater offense. There's no duly convicted prisoner here in connection with the greater offense. So the excess punishment is just flagrantly illegal. It's not a true sentence. It's a, it's an illegal order for involuntary servitude. And, uh, I wanted to bring, uh, and then we've got the cruel and unusual punishment clause. And there is actually authority. There's not a whole lot of authority, but there is authority that it's, that it's cruel and unusual punishment to imprison someone as a result of a substandard or horrific process. And I can give you some examples of that. Let's say, for example, somebody didn't get a regular trial, but they, they got handed over to a lynch mob. And a lynch mob mm -hmm. found them guilty. Let's just drag him off to prison. That's good enough for us. And that's cruel and unusual punishment to do that to somebody, to have them being punished under a, a horrific process like that. They have to be released. Um, and another example might be, which is not as extreme, but still it's bad. It's really, it's an horrific process. Say, for example, that a defendant had a court-appointed trial lawyer who was also employed as a prosecutor, maybe in another county at the time, and, he, and the defendant didn't know nothing about it. I mean, that's right. horrific. That's cruel and unusual punishment to do that to somebody. And I don't think sure. that that's being, sure. that's being addressed enough. The cruel and unusual punishment aspect of of some of these uh, prisoners' situation. Uh, now, the movement to amend the 13th Amendment, I believe, is could use a little tweaking, let me put it that way. Um, I know that, that, that people just wanted slavery outlawed. I understand that I'm crystal clear on that across the board. Without any exceptions, that makes perfect sense to me. Um, however, when you just delete that, duly convicted language except as a punishment for crime where a party where of the party shall have been duly convicted you need to leave that duly convicted language in there somehow and let me explain to you how you can still outlaw slavery and involuntary servitude across the board no exceptions but you sh there should also also be a declaration that to imprison somebody or to punish somebody without being duly convicted is automatic should automatically be deemed slavery, illegal slavery or involuntary servitude. Automatically, if they're not duly convicted, you got no business putting your hands on them, punishing them in any way. And that should be declared slavery in and of itself. In addition to banning slavery across the board, I, I disagree with with just a wholesale deletion of all that language without a safety net there. For, for people who haven't been duly convicted. 
of anything. I, I get your point, I, but Max, what you're please talking go about, first, Max. What you're talking about is how the system now and and before goes beyond its legal aspects. So, for instance, the jails—they are a for-profit industry. Um, they're economic revenue generators. And yet people have not been convicted. Uh, we have a guest coming on the 21st, uh, Dr. Stewart, who's been in Rikers Island for nearly four years now. Uh, the Sixth Amendment guarantees you the right to a fair and speedy trial, so that's been denied from him. The Eighth Amendment protects you from cruel and unusual punishment. And, of course, it's Rikers Island. Every day there is a risk to your life. We've all seen the mm-hmm. videos of everything from fight clubs to prostitution to drugs to guards abusing people like uh, Khalif Browder. Uh, and, and the same thing applies to the immigration system as well. They haven't been duly convicted under the 13th Amendment, and yet they're still exploiting them as physical bodies, human beings who are filling beds in order to generate a revenue upwards in the tens of billions of dollars. So these are what we call crimes against humanity. <laughs> it's not protected by the 13th Amendment. It's not a law allowed anywhere in law internationally or nationally, and yet it's being done every single day, exploiting human beings in schemes of crimes against humanity, slavery, and human trafficking. So I understand where you're yeah, coming I, from. I, I, yes, I agree. I, just, I, I, I agree that, that they've, they've streamlined the system to make it easier to put people away. There's no right. question about that. They they have right. totally perverted the justice system to make it into a slave trafficking system. It's not a justice system. It's a joke of a justice system. It's, it's a sick a, it's joke. It's a crime against humanity is what it is. And mm-hmm. uh, it starts with allowing slavery to be legal. So we're at a stage now where we really don't – I don't think it would be a good idea for us to make any changes or additions or – make this more confusing than it already is because only 18% of the population even know there's an exception clause in the constitution of the United States, let alone that there's a similar language in 25 states. Uh, Many have no clue. So they're already starting off confused and we want to keep it as simple as possible in slavery. Uh, Once you've done that, all the badges and incidents of slavery can be addressed, including what you're referring to now where people who have not even been convicted of a crime are suffering all of these constitutional violations and exploitations of themselves as human beings. All of that can be addressed without the protection of an exception clause that has turned people into property. My concern is this. I don't want them to have, I don't want them to have any leeway at all whatsoever to, to do people dirty and, and enslave them. And, 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 I don't want them to be able to say, well, we're not, we're not forcing them to labor. We're not, you know, they're, they're not being subjected to involuntary servitude. Well, they could say the same things about Africans that were on the transatlantic slave ships down in the hold. They weren't working. They were chained down, but they weren't working. I don't want them to have that kind of leeway to be able to say, hey, we're not working these prisoners, so, so uh, you can't accuse us of violating the 13th Amendment or any other anti-slavery provision. I we want them to be able to... You're talking yeah. about where the body. And it's slavery. Okay, let me jump in for a second. So this is why we're going after the human rights violations aspect of it. 
because what you're saying is correct. The courts have overwhelmingly for over 100 years stated that basically they can't do anything about it as long as there's the exception clause to the 13th Amendment. And so, as Max stated, once that's taken care of, then we can – that also rids the badges and incidents of slavery. It gives people legal causes of actions against the prisons and the jails. But as long as the 13th Amendment is there, it blocks them from being able to do that. It's not just about the labor aspect, but it's the human rights violations. It's the people spending decades in solitary confinement. It's people you know, being fed rancid food. It's the exploitation of the health care, the commissary, the telephones. All of this stuff comes into play. So you're absolutely correct. It's just uh, once we get rid of the 13th Amendment, it opens the door because right now the 13th Amendment blocks any type of remedies that are available. Call out and get your name. What was your name again? My name is David, and I'm in Illinois. David, and, uh, Illinois, thank you so Illinois much for calling. Is... Sorry, Illinois is one of the most corrupt states. They put 20 actually innocent men on death row, mostly people of color. Um, they just slave traffic them there, let them left them there to rot. And if it wasn't for DNA evidence and investigative reporters, they probably would still be there or would have been executed. I mean, I'm very familiar with how rotten the system can be. Sure. And I'm very sympathetic, very sympathetic to the plight of people in in cities like New York City, Rikers Island, and and and, and like Parchman in Mississippi. Just horrific, horrific, mm-hmm. horrible. Sure. Um, David, I thank you so much for calling. Please continue oh, to listen you. to tonight's episode, and please continue to listen. Tell your friends, tell your family about abolition today. Thank you so much for your call. But we have to keep moving with the show. I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, we're going to go into a little track. Listen, David, hang on. If you have a question later on during the show, you can always feel free to raise your hand again. Just press 1 on your keypad. Um, what we want to do next is we were just talking about people being tortured in prison, and one of those that stands out is a person that just passed away a couple of days ago, um, and that, that would be Brother Albert Woodfox, who uh, passed mm-hmm. away just recently. Spent 47 years in solitary confinement. Um, I think that was the second most uh, in the history of the United States, right? The most, as far as solitary. Wasn't Brother Pinnell in further, longer than that? I I don't think so. I believe he was the most, at least uh, up until that. If not, they were like one and two. Yeah, Yeah, they were like one and two. two. I don't recall offhand who was the longest, but it was definitely one and two. Right. So he just passed away, and we want to share his words with the audience as we continue to educate about modern-day slavery and black office. We'll be right back after this. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Albert Woodfox, who was held in solitary confinement longer than any prisoner in U.S. history, has died at the age of 75 due to complications of COVID-19. He was eventually freed on his 69th birthday, February 19, 2016. Three days after his release, Democracy Now!'s Renee Feltz and I interviewed Albert Wood Fox in his first live TV interview. Abolition. Abolition. Well, you know, uh, actually, you know, my first encounter with the panel up in 
poisoning close in Harlem, New York. And eventually, you know... Uh, you had escaped from jail at one yeah, point and fled to New 50 York, years, right? 50 years. The day I was sentenced to 50 years, I escaped. And eventually, I wound up in Harlem. And But this was a different Harlem from the Harlem I had known in my criminal life. Uh, you know, I saw, you know, uh, members of the Black Panther Party moving in the community. I saw them, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, helping uh, senior citizens. I saw them, uh, you know, uh, in charge of uh, cleaning up uh, the neighborhoods and stuff. And, and, and the thing that impressed me the most, though, you know, all my life I had always been able to see a certain fear in black people. No matter what position they held, you know, that, that I could always sense that fear. And for the very first time in my life, I saw black men and women who had no fear. This fear, I couldn't sense it. I couldn't feel it. You know, but what I did feel was a sense of pride, a sense of dignity, a sense of dedication. And uh, luckily, you know, a police car was patrolling. And the fear that I normally saw in black people, I saw in these police officers. You know, and, and so that was quite a, you know, an impact. And uh, eventually I was arrested uh, and uh, was placed in a Manhattan house of detention. And uh, while there, the Panther 21 uh, incident, the shootout with New York police occurred, and four members were placed on, uh, I was on the eighth floor in the cell block, and four members from that group were placed there. And uh, Panther by the name of Alfred Kane was in leadership position. And the Panthers immediately start to uh, make an impact, you know, in conversations. And, 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 and so, you know, that was my first real close-up counter with the Panthers. And, but uh, the turning point in my life, uh, a guy who had come down on appeal had a book called A Different Drummer. And, you know, up to that point, I was listening to what the Panthers were saying at the meetings on the tier, but I wasn't hearing what they were saying. And after reading this book, I started hearing, understanding what they were saying. And so, in hindsight, so many things that happened to me, uh, I realized that, you know, it was, you know, not the, uh, uh, it was not because I was bad, it was because I was black. And that, uh, you know, at that time, they had determined that one in every four black men would go to prison. And you know, unfortunately, I was that one in four that wound up in prison. Oh, I want to be somebody so bad. But you keep on putting your foot on me. And I, I believe, I believe I can break away. Somebody say one time, you can make it if you try. Oh, and some of us, we're trying so hard. We're trying so hard. I want you to know that I don't speak for myself, but I speak for y'all too right now. Uh-huh. You see, if you have white, light brown skin and a high yellow, you're still black. So we all got to stick together right now. 
Today with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan and my guest co-host, uh, Tag Harmon. That was Amy Goodman of Democracy Now! announcing the death of Albert Woodfox and also the clip of his interview on Democracy Now! speaking of the black men and women who had no fear. And it was followed or accompanied by and followed by Is It Because I'm Black? by Syl Johnson. And this is a tad bit of information, not sure if uh, you all knew that, but when it comes to the the uh, Panther 21 in New York City that was being that uh, Albert spoke about in the audio, the leader of that group that was arrested was Afeni Shakur. And for those who are unaware, Afeni Shakur is the mother of Tupac Shakur. So I'm wondering, Max, did you were you aware of that, and that's why you kind of chose Tupac for the opening track and linked it all in together? Yes, I was aware of all of that and brought it all together for various reasons, and it's going to continue throughout the night. I'm not done yet. There are certain elements you'll see repeated throughout. Uh, we are educational program, and we use music and poetry. So I'm sure. doing what sure. I can to make sure that we pull that all together as smoothly as possible. And uh, often I throw in little subliminal stuff that you might mix, miss, or if you, want, you wasn't part of the production, you wouldn't even know existed, but it's just fabulous. <laughs> um, that right there was very powerful, uh, the moment him talking about how they didn't have fear because they felt somebody was concerned with their safety, their rights, their welfare, uh, you know, to not feel that way. In a the richest nation on earth is kind of a, is very oxymoronic, right? It's 
Like, how, how can you mm-hmm. not have this type of security that everybody is supposed to possess? And it's mainly because they don't defend our rights equally. Um, and he said it loud and clear. It's because I'm black. He realized it. He was part of the Angola Three, uh, Robert King, Herman Wallace, and himself, uh, Albert Woodfox. And remember, the way they treated these men was horrible. Uh, and not just because they were black, but because they dared to fight against the system that had wrongfully incarcerated them and put them in the solitary confinement for, uh, he was in there for 44 years. Uh, Albert, I believe Robert was in for 29 years in solitary confinement. That's like for daring mm-hmm. to speak up and saying, I'm innocent. I never did any of this. And all of them were exonerated. And remember, when uh, Brother Herman Wallace was exonerated, he was already dying. They let him out literally long enough to die a day, right? He lasted a day. Right. Long enough to die. And they did that on purpose. Uh, And these are political prisoners, which is one of the reasons why we have a Black August, to remember that these people lived and died. Uh, They fought and won and lost. Uh, And we have to remember that they made these sacrifices, not just for themselves, but for all of us. Yusuf? Yeah, you're absolutely yeah, yeah, right. I'm uh, right. uh, um, um, it Do you have any uh, any response to what Max said, or anything that you heard in the in the track? Yeah, absolutely. Just continuing to say, as, as ever, free Amal, you know, free Mumia, free Matul Shakur, free Rochelle sure. McGee, free Reverend right. Joy Powell. Free Imam yes. J- Jamil Alamin, free them all, and yes. you know we we know that, and 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 Brother Mumia, uh, as as he was breaking it down, as far as the the legacy and the key dates of Black August, we know that today is the day when Jonathan Jackson uh, decided to take matters in, into his own hands, and and you know sparked what's now referred to as the August Seventh Movement. You know, in 1970, taking over that courthouse and just doing what he felt compelled to do under the circumstances as a 17-year-old revolutionary. And uh, matter of fact, uh, pulled up from Soledad Brother a letter from George Jackson, Field Marshal George Jackson, uh, from just a couple of days after that occurred on August 9th, 1970. Uh, if I could take a few seconds to just share that uh, from out of Soledad, brother. Sure. So, Field Marshal George Jackson writes, August 9, 1970, real date, two days A.D. Dear Joan, we reckon all time in the future from the day of the man-child's death. Man-child, black man-child with submachine gun in hand. He was free for a while. I guess that's more than most of us can expect. I want people to wonder at what forces created him. Terrible, vindictive, cold, calm man-child. Courage in one hand, the machine gun in the other. Scourge of the unrighteous. An ox for the people to ride. Go over all the letters I've Sent you and any reference to Georgia being less than a perfect revolutionary's mama must be removed. Do it now. I want no possibility of anyone misunderstanding her as I did. She didn't cry a tear. 
She, uh, she is, as I am, very proud. She read two things into his rage, love and loyalty. I can't go any further. It would just be a love story about the baddest brother this world has had the privilege to meet. And it's just not popular or safe to say I love him. Cold and calm, though. All right, gentlemen, I'm taking over now. Revolution, George. And again, that was from just two days after uh, his younger brother, Jonathan Jackson, uh, entered into that courthouse in Marin County and uh, took those hostages uh, in the name of revolution. And it's just incredibly inspiring uh, to this day uh, that, that those kinds of circumstances are, are upon, you know, uh, some of our, our, our younger heads out here, a teenager who, you know, under duress and out of revolutionary commitment decided to, you know, take, take those kinds of, uh, you know, extreme measures. Uh, thank you so much for that tag. Uh, wow. The uh, board is lit up like the, <laughs> like New Year's Eve. Uh, 2901, welcome to Abolition Today with Max Parthes, Yusuf Hassan, and Tag Harmon. Hey, brothers, it's Nube. Hey, Sister Nube, welcome back Peace to the Sister show. Peace. Hey, hey, it's great to hear to hear all of you. It's beautiful. We're still right in your house tonight, aren't we? Say that again? I said we're in your wheelhouse tonight, aren't we? Yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, for sure. Um, listen, I did. I, first, I want to. I want to say, you know, rest in power, Albert Wood Fox, of course, and all of those that have, that have gone before. Um, I just did. I feel like it's a little bit of my responsibility, even though I am also learning more about about Black August, Black August and its tenants. Um, but I do want to uh, just make mention of. Um, you know, um, kind of the origins of, of Black August and why it's, and why it is it is celebrated for what it is. It is um, because we know that as it's becoming more more public, um, you know, some of the original the reasons why it took place or the reason why it was created is going to um, if we don't pay attention, we'll get somewhat lost. And so, um, uh, I just wanted to bring forth that um, uh, Baba Shaka at Pinin who it was one of the co-founders of the Black August Organizing Committee, uh, really one of the, you know, the original founders of, of Black August, and to recognize that um, he passed on to the ancestors April 23rd of this year, and that also um, to keep in mind that the people that created Black August, um, many of them are still enslaved in California's prisons, and most of them are um, uh, people that have, new Africans that have been subjected to decades of, of torture up in Pelican Bay State Prison and Corcoran Shoes. Um, these, this kind of solitary confinement was meant to break them. They literally, it was a, uh, like an experiment on how to break individuals, how to break these revolutionary new Africans. And um, if I can, I would love to just read a couple of paragraphs from um, a piece I put together about the past uh, of, of Shaka at Tinan, uh, talking about uh, how was Black August originated and what was the purpose of it, if I could. Absolutely. Go ahead. 
Okay. Um, so Baba Shaka says, the origins of it were twofold. It was a commemoration, Black August Memorial, as we had been doing inside for years. All of those freedom fighters we had lost from our midst because we had suffered at the hands of this state, this government, for years without being able to get that message fully to the outside world. People would see isolated incidents or they would see certain names pop up like um, W.L. Nolan and uh, William Christmas and uh, James Carr, um, just, to, just to name a, name a few, Katari Golden. Um, so they didn't really understand that there was a systemic policy that was destroying us. They were killing us by policies. When you hear the term NHI, no humans involved, that's the way we were considered, and we were beneath that particular rule. And let me remind you again, this is California. These are political prisoners in California um, that we are talking about, where this originated, where Black August originated. As Africans, we were considered the lowest of the low. So anything, all of the torture tactics, all of the chemicals, weapons, new tools they had for controlling people, they used on us first. And as a result, we had to form an organ, a body, a unity amongst ourselves to protect ourselves. Then the idea was to enlighten the outside world, to shine the spotlight on what was happening in, in this prison, to get rid of all the lies, the cover-ups, the subterfuge, and all of that, and make them understand what was really happening, people in there to come and investigate. So Black August was about re-educating those individuals who were willing to be re-educated, who were willing to stand up, who were willing to help in defending the young Africans that came in off the bus, who got preyed on, got raped, got robbed, beaten, and all that. We formed ourselves into an entity to protect them, to protect the young Panthers that came in off the streets as political prisoners and were immediately preyed on by the establishment. We tried to defend them from the other races who were sick on them. People like Jaleel Muntakin, who's down in New York now. They didn't know this when this was, this was um, an interview from 2015. They all came through where we were. They all came through us in San Quentin and Tracy and all these places. And we put our arms around them and protected them and made sure they survived because they were freedom fighters. They still are freedom fighters. And that's, very specifically what Black August is about, it really is honoring those fallen comrades of new African freedom fighters. Thank you and so much. The last for thing that. I want to say mm-hmm. Yeah, and I wanna say you can read all of this by going to uh the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspapers website at www.sfbayview.com. And the article that you were just reading is also going to be up on our Abolition Today Facebook page, so make sure you check it out. Sister Nubay, that was great information that you just shared with the listening audience. You know, it was new to me, you know. So this is what this is all about. It's about us learning and passing on the information. Max? Pardon me, I'm a little slow. um, I'm running with faulty equipment. Uh, told you last week we had some echo. I was going to get it fixed. Well, I did buy the equipment, but none of it works the way it's supposed to work. So we're back to where we were last week. So next week or the week after, I'll have it because next week we'll be doing a replay. As uh, I believe next week we'll both be in Louisiana. So um, I'll get it done next week. If you hear too much echo, m- my apologies. Thank you, Sister Nubay Brown. Uh, that uh, we appreciate you giving us the or- origin of this. 
um, so that we can more fully understand it and that our listeners can more fully understand the meaning behind Black Authors. Save you. <laughs> yeah, uh, Nubay <laughs> Brown is the editor for the uh, Bayview newspaper, uh, San Francisco Bayview. Yep. And that's why I said it's right in your wheelhouse. So you did exactly what I was hoping you would do. Thank you so much. Of All right, course. we have other. Thank you. Thank you so much. We, we got a couple other callers. You want to bring in the next one there, uh, Brother Yusuf? Sure. Uh, eight seven six two. You are on Abolition today with Max Parthas, Tag Harmon, and myself, Yusuf Hassan. Welcome to the show. Eight seven six two. Are you with us? Hi, can everyone hear me well? Can you hear me? Yes, we hear you. I'm so sorry about that. Hi, guys. I'm I'm Karen. I'm here representing the state of Vermont. We're excited for Vermont to be one of the many states that will be abolishing slavery. Um, this is a major issue in Vermont because just this week I read that Vermont is planning on opening women's prisons. They're planning this. Actually, I don't think they're planning it. It's actually happening in front of our eyes for those that are paying attention. So that's why um, it's critical that we continue this fight. It's critical that we continue to listen to Abolition Today as students. Um, I know that I started um, in Episode 1, and and I'm moving up. <laughs> but the classwork, you know, you got to just go through the semester. And um, that's what I'm doing right now, and I'm just excited to no, because once you know, you just can't unknow. And um, right now I'm taking care of um, some family friends. And to see their boys, um, I totally see them with different eyes. They're black sons. Um, my eyes have just changed. I no longer see them as just an innocent kid that they are. I see them as what the world sees them, and that's a horrible way that the world sees them. And I just want um, us to realize that this is really about the children. You know, it's really about the future. We're, we're not thinking of the now. We're thinking about the future. We're thinking about the people who are suffering now, but will have greater futures. So all the people that are incarcerated right now, all the people who are dealing with a legal system that is not for you, all the people who can't find lawyers who want to take their cases, all the people who know that these free legal um, clinics are not actually providing them legal assistance, um, let your heart not be weary. There are five people who are praying, fighting, reading the law, going to law school um, to rise and fight for you. So I just wanted to encourage, I'm always here because this is a movement and it's moving. And, um, yeah, that's all I got to say. Shout out to Abolition today. Thank you so much, uh, Corinne. Corinne. And we've shared the article where it's entitled State Hires Design Firm to Advance New Women's Prison. And there's a unique line that they have in that article which says, if we have 100 beds, 200 beds, 500 beds, that is the number of women that we will find in prison. So they're even talking ahead of time that they're going to have 100% capacity in a prison. And the only way you can guarantee 100% capacity is if you know that you're going to be able to manipulate the laws that are going to incarcerate more people. Because according to this article, 85% 85% of the women who went to Vermont prisons do so due to super, supervision violations. So we're not even talking about uh, new crimes. We're talking about technical violations, you know, uh, dirty urine or maybe missing a curfew. So 
they're going to see that they're going to be doing more enforcement. They're going to be sending more women back to prison. Max or Tag? I African-American women that currently live in Vermont, how many of them are going to be subject to those beds? Because, you know, it, it is a thing. It is a thing. We call things a thing. Call a thing a thing, right? So, yeah, right. thanks for that information. Thank you, Karen. Max right, Otak, uh, do you have any feedback on that? Well, we're running um, up on our music break, so let's go ahead and take two minutes, one more caller, and then we'll go ahead and get into our music break. Um, I do want to say happy birthday to my daughter, Alicia. Uh, it's her birthday today. Happy birthday, baby. Yeah, uh, happy she, birthday, Alicia. Yep. Uh, she is celebrating her birthday today. Um, so, yeah, uh, let's go ahead and take one more caller. Uh, we got about two minutes. Uh, callers, uh, we, so we, we, we've, cleared up, we've cleared all the callers. Uh, I think Dave still has his hand up. Uh, I don't know if he had another comment. We can check with him. Yeah, check with him. Since he's still on the line. Dave, are you still there with us? Yes, I'm still here. I'm still here. There you are. I'm still here. I was on mute. Did Um, you have a question or comment before we went into our music break? Um, I wanted to comment a little bit more about the about the process, but you know how they're packing prisons, and how did we get to this point where prisons are being packed nationwide? How does the United States have the has the highest uh, rate of incarceration of any nation in the world. And th- th- they've streamlined the process. They, ch- they switched it. They switched up on us is what they did is the best way to describe it in easily understandable terms. It used to be, it used to be uh, thought of as a justice system and, and judges actually took pride, you know, uh, the way it was at, from the time of the founding and actually having a legitimate so-called justice system where, you know, they, they believed in fair trials and fair treatment and so on and so forth. Um, that switched up after the civil war radically, especially for people of color, especially for, uh, the descendants and, and freed slaves, the descendants of freed slaves, as well as freed slaves. Uh, they, they created black codes where, you know, there was a, a double standard in the courts, a double standard in the laws. Uh, it was a rigged up system calculated to uh, load up uh, penal institutions with people of color. They could no longer legally put them up, put black people or Africans on the auction block and sell them and trade them like uh, ordinary uh, cattle. So they had to do something. That's This country didn't stop being pro-slavery radically pro-slavery after the Civil War. I mean, they suffered a lot for being pro-slavery, but they didn't stop being pro-slavery, even though they, they suffered great losses in the in the Civil War. Um, and then to, to, it's just escalated from there. I mean, you can look at, look at some, some of the results of the Black Codes. There's photographic evidence of what happened as a result of the Black Codes. Blacks were arrested for the pettiest of offenses and, and basically leased out to companies where they could profiteer off of them. And everything to do with prison since then has been all about profit. Dave, is they weren't, they weren't so much about, they weren't, they weren't so much about profit prior to the black codes. Um, but they are now, 
They're all about the money. Is this your first time tuning in to Abolition Today? Yeah, it is. It's the first That's time. That's awesome. I really appreciate that. But rest assured, we cover all of those aspects on this program. Uh, every week, uh, we cover a different area of it. So you might want to check out uh, two in particular. One is Blame the Presidents. When you ask how this is possible, we did a program called Blame the Presidents, uh, and it breaks down the president's involvement in pushing the issue of slavery to where we have it right now. Um, and another one was called The Money Machine, and we showed how the money is generated and who's behind it, uh, The Money Machine and Blame the Presidents. But you're right, that convict list leasing was very much the missing link. And we've traced the 13th Amendment all the way back to 1777 Vermont, which is we have one of the callers, one of the Vermont activists or abolitionists here on the line with us today. Vermont was the first one to introduce the exception clause, um, and they are getting rid of it this year. They're going to vote it out, which is pretty damn awesome after 245 years of having that exception that has been exploited by 24 other states. And even beyond that, as you mentioned earlier, for those who hadn't even been duly convicted. All right. I, I want to go ahead and get into our music break. Uh, if you want to introduce it, that would be great, Brother Yusuf. Uh, shout out to my wife, Tribal Rain, uh, for taking on a persona <laughs> of a Saudi court. For sure. For sure. This is Tribal Rain reading a Shakur. And that's going to be followed by V. Bozeman, Race Jones. One of my favorite tracks, and I, I love anytime Tribal uh, reads for us. So this is, again, Tribal Rain reading Asata Shakur from her book, Asata. Abolition. Abolition. Today. Asata Shakur, an autobiography. One day they bought me a big bushel of string beans. They grew a lot of their food at the workhouse. The men worked in the fields. Here. We want you to snap these green beans. How much are you going to pay me, I ask? We don't pay no inmate nothing. But if you snap these beans, we'll let your doors stay open while you snap them. I don't work for nothing. And I ain't going to be a slave for nobody. Don't you know that slavery was outlawed? No, the guard said, you're wrong. Slavery was outlawed with the exception of prison. Slavery is legal in prison. I looked it up. And sure enough, she was right. The 13th Amendment to the Constitution says, Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as punishment for a crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States, or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Hmm. Well, that explained a lot of things. That explains why jails and prisons all over the country are filled to the brim with black and third world people. Why so many black people can't find a job on the streets and are forced to survive the best way they know how. Once you're in prison, there are plenty of jobs. And if you don't want to work, they beat you up and throw you in the hole. If every state had to pay workers to do the jobs prisons are supposed to do, the salaries would amount to billions. License plates alone would amount to millions. When Jimmy Carter was governor of Georgia, he bought a black woman from prison to clean the state house and babysit for Amy. Prisons are a profitable business. They are a way of legally perpetrating slavery. 
In every state, more and more prisons are being built, and even more on the drawing board. Who are they for? They certainly aren't planning to put white folks in them. Prisons are a part of this government's genocidal war against black and third world people. Followed by V. Bozeman, Race Jones. So, uh, wow, what 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 a tremendous tremendous uh, discovery we could call it that Asata encountered while she was incarcerated, and she shared it in her autobiography. So, uh, Max, uh, I love that Race Jones man, that Race Jones by V. Bozeman. Yes, the video is awesome. Uh, You'll find it on our page, Abolition Today, on Facebook, and also our YouTube page, youtube.com slash abolition today. Just click uh, Abolition Music playlist, and you'll see them all there. 
Yeah, very powerful song. Uh, Tribal did great justice to Shadow's words. Um, and as you said, it, it was a hell of a discovery, right? And who told her? A prison guard. And here's the right. funny part. We, we was talking about this before the program came on air, right? Some friends of ours, speakers, came by today to visit the center, and they brought some string beans from their yard <laughs> that they had <laughs> planted. <laughs> and like travel, you know, you just did a speech about that recently, hadn't you? <laughs> so it was pretty right. funny. You know, they didn't mean no harm by it, but it just was funny that they brought these string beans from the garden. So here you can snap them if you have any problems snapping them. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that was awesome. Um, yeah, the uh, she found out that Thirteenth Amendment had that exception. The prison guard told her about it, and immediately her mind said, "Well, that explains a lot." And many of us who come to this understanding uh, have that same click moment where, "Wow, that really makes all the sense in the world." Now I get it. <laughs> you know, uh, and right. she predicted that the prisons would get uh, more populated, that they would build more prisons, that they would be investing money like they're doing in Alabama and in Vermont and in California to buy new prisons and new jails where entire communities only exist because the prisons or the jails exist there. And many counties, uh, their primary source of revenue comes from things like tickets and fines and warrants and exploitation of their own citizens, and usually the black citizens. I was just watching a sheriff's convention of some sort. Uh, across the country, sheriffs are getting together to uh, stop the steal, and they're declaring that they are not going to support Biden and all this. He's not the real president. Trump is president. And they have some common denominators about him. You know, half of them are wearing cowboy hats. <laughs> Every one of them are white men. Every single one of them are white men. And I couldn't help but mm-hmm. think to myself, you know, imagine what their black constituents must be going through. Because we know when they have adopted these personas, these lies, these narratives, that it comes in bunches. You just don't believe that the the election was robbed. There's other things that come with that that you also believe because you're part of the good old boys. Uh, it's pretty amazing, right. man. Yusuf or Tag. Yeah, Brother Tag, we haven't heard from you in a moment. Oh, well, I'll just continue to uh, applaud the uh, the re- recite work from Sister Tribal. That that was excellent work, and, you know, it's always great to hear uh, Sister Estrada Shakur's words that continue to ring true and only become, you know, more vitally important you know, with with each passing day, especially on, you know, uh, given that it's Black August out here. But, you know, as, as Sister Corinne was pointing out, you know, and as, as we continue to highlight and, and needs to be highlighted, you know, I, an often overlooked uh, element of, of all of this enslavement that's going on throughout the U.S. and, and its territories and, and elsewhere, uh, you know, is the fact that there are all of these um, women being uh, rapidly enslaved under underneath this system, and and of course you know uh, women are, are are subjected to all, all kinds of you know additional harms as occurred under uh, pre 1865 enslavement, and and so it's it's incredibly important that heads like Asada Shakur and uh, you know Afini Shakur is mentioned earlier and so many others 
um, hold down that legacy and, and really just lift up, uh, you know, the importance of, of uh, African descended w- women in, in this struggle as, as central um, to it and, and um, all too often overlooked. You know, and I'm, speaking of, oh, go I'm ahead. Glad, I'm glad that uh, we today are focusing on uh, the real people who are paying the price in this effort. Um, and I'm going to do something that I rarely do here on Abolish Today, and that's speak as an official representative for the Abolish Slavery National Network. Um, for those that don't know, I am the National Campaign Coordinator for the ASNN, and I want to let everybody know, like I did with you earlier today, uh, Yusuf, is that uh, mm-hmm. we are focusing our narrative on all aspects of slavery. We're not just going to be focusing on prison labor and whether or not inmates get paid. Because none of these stories that you heard today were about them being forced to labor. It was about them being abused and brutalized and tortured. There's so many aspects of slavery allowed through the Constitution and practice here in the United States that go beyond just prison labor uh, and arguments about whether or not prisoners should be paid. That's not even part of our bills. We are trying to end slavery, which is a moral wrong. There is no reason for any nation on earth to have within their constitutional documents an allowance for slavery of any kind, period, point blank. And now I'm stepping back from being Max of ASNN and going back to being the host of Abolition Today. Uh, We're just asking (laughs) that when you talk about this issue in the future, especially with only months left before the elections, to let people know that it goes beyond just prison labor, warehousing bodies, the abuse and sexual exploitation, uh, the extortion tactics, the, the domination and monopolies of prison bid contracts, the violations of your Eighth Amendment, your Sixth Amendment, uh, your First Amendment rights, all of these different things are part of it. And you mentioned some earlier today regarding probation violations. It goes beyond the prison walls, too, uh, because many people end up in cages because of a simple thing like a probation violation. You didn't show up. You didn't pay your bill. And in Alabama, a few short years ago, there was a for-profit private probation company that had as many as 115 offices in Alabama. And the way they were working was if you did not pay their fee, which had nothing to do with your court fee, they would violate you and send you back to prison. That was found to be unconstitutional, and they all had to pack up their bags and get the hell out of the state. But that's what we're saying. It's so much more than just forcing somebody to work. When the first Africans were brought here as slaves, it wasn't just for labor. There was a lot more going on. Um, At one point, they bred us like animals in order to uh, exploit us as whores and prostitutes to people's specific requests. I want a French black woman. Can you hook me up with a... And they would breed us like that. So there's many aspects of this system and how it is a full-fledged crime against humanity which need to be addressed. And as we move towards the elections, we want to focus on those moral issues. And there is no reason for this thing to exist, no justification whatsoever. In the Declaration of Human Rights, um, it does not, Article 4 does not give an exception for America. It says no slavery in no forms shall exist, and that's all we're asking for. Yusuf? 
Well, thank you so much for that commentary, Max. It was very important to bring that out there because we all have to be on mission and we all have to be speaking with the same voice because we don't want to confuse the voters. We don't want to conflate the issues. The issue is about ending slavery. So thank you for that commentary. And going back to something that Tag just mentioned when he talks about the women and, you know, the calls for justice for women, one such call we've been making since the day we came on the air, Max, March 15th of 2020, and that's justice for Breonna Taylor. And for those who don't know, the four officers that were uh, charged, that were involved in her death and murdering her, they have been charged this past week uh, with federal crime. Uh, federal charges have been brought against them by Attorney General uh, Merrick Garland. He said Breonna Taylor should be alive today. You know, that's that's uh, his position on this situation. So uh, that just came out this week. It's still unfolding. We'll see how that goes in the future. We'll definitely keep the listeners uh, up to date on that because we call for justice for Brianna. Amen to that, brother. Um, I see we still have some hands up. Uh, was there any more, any, anyone else who wanted to make questions or comments uh, before we transition into our next segments? It looks like Sister Nube raised her hand again. All right. So, Sister Nube, you're back on with us. Okay, thank you so much. I just I wanted to say this. Thank you so much for that commentary, uh, uh, Max, and also from Corinne. So the two things that I wanted to say is that, yes, in terms of, of, of slavery taking place within our prisons, one of the things that, um, again, those new African uh, revolutionary freedom fighters, part, one of the main reasons that they were put in solitary confinement was to eradicate revolutionaries and key, and they would they were put in there for reading the books of George Jackson um, and mm-hmm. and they would be retaliated against so again yes we want to eradicate slavery abolish slavery because it is systematic systematically dehumanizes and takes away all the human rights of people that are enslaved and I do want to uh, give a shout out about um, Brittany Griner who has been uh, sentenced to nine years in a Russian prison uh, for, uh, quote, smuggling in um, her, uh, I guess, her uh, CBD vape or uh, vape. uh, She is the WNBA uh, player who uh, plays in Russia on the offseason when she's in the offseason here uh, from here in in the United States. So she's getting... She is now being subject to nine, uh, sentenced to nine years in prison, and this government can't seem to uh, make sure that she is coming home. And it also just makes me think about, um, you know, uh, how we treat black women, uh, because there was another case where a, a young white woman uh, brought in, so this was 0.07 grams of whatever, you know, the, the CBD or the, you know, the, the um, whatever they were calling it. I'm, I'm not sure if it was CBD or marijuana, but um, it was 0.07. And this white woman brought, um, was uh, found guilty of bringing in 0.17 grams. And she was not, um, and she was not, um, was not arrested. 
And our government also is not making sure that Brittany Griner is coming home. There was supposed to be some kind of prisoner swap or something like that, unfortunately. Um, I haven't, um, you know, followed deeply on, on this story, but that's the latest. So uh, we need to do something about uh, bringing some light to um, our sister, our black sister, Brittany Griner. When I heard about uh, the, the trade and what Biden said publicly, um, the first thing I thought about was Kevin O'Brien, who is spending life in prison for 20 years, and Alan Russell, who's also going to spend a lot, the rest of his life in prison for an uh, ounce and a half of weed. Um, so Biden's saying, you know, the judgment that you Russians have done is just terrible. Uh, it is unjust and unfair and bring Brittany home so she could be with her family, Right. But these are the same people right. who just sent those men I mentioned to in the prison for life, right here in their own system. And they're not the only ones. There's many who are doing life in prison for small infractions like that right here in the United States because of the, what do you want to call it, the three-strike rule or repeat offender rules, where it doesn't matter what your third mm-hmm. strike is. Uh, you're going to mm-hmm. prison for the rest of your life. And he's not interested in doing a damn thing about any of them. So it's just very hypocritical uh, of him to even speak on this thing. Uh, I do would like to see her come home just like you and everybody else would, but I also want this to not happen to the people right here in America either. Like, let these brothers and sisters go. I just mentioned, and so many more. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's sickening. I mean, you almost want to say, wow, I mean, in Russia, you're only going to get nine years. Here, you're going to get life. Life for a drug charge, or or you're going to be you're going to be um, you know tortured for reading a book to educate yourself. Yeah, it's it's sick here. This this is slavery at its at its worst here. So anyway, I just right. wanted to to bring all that up. You you're absolutely right about that. I just wanted to throw in that you know and bring out some names so people can remember that Kevin O'Brien and Alan Russell are spending the rest of their lives in prison for a handful of marijuana right now here in America. You ain't got to call Russia. You ain't got to go to Ukraine. You don't have to go over to Taiwan. You can walk your ass down to your, your government right here and say, free those people right now. Somebody needs to give a damn. Um, the news media only cares about high-profile cases. We already know how that works. Uh, but we're not the mainstream media. We're not even a news show. We're an educational program. And there's something to educate you right there, those two names. Yusuf or Tag? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's of course, the, the height of hypocrisy, but that's, that's uh, all that your boy uh, Joe Byron and, and all of them w- within that class are about. And so we, we see this. It's, it's just a continuation uh, you know, we've been talking about the the genocide that the U.S. has been found guilty of, uh, remains guilty of genocides, plural, and yet we have the the U.S. Uh, constantly pointing fingers all across the globe of uh, you know alleged genocides that that they want to point uh, point out and highlight, uh, and 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 the reasons for doing so are are pretty blatantly obvious and the U.S. continues to engage in, in you know, the, the hypocritical um, shuffle that, that it's been engaged in for centuries now. One of those examples uh, would be 
when the U.S. argues with China about them using uh, forced labor within their prisons. It, it really does get more hypocritical than that. And that's one of the problems why we're trying to make sure people understand there's more to this than just the forced labor. Uh, the a- the um, ACLU recently released a report, and it's called uh, Captive Labor. It's a 154-page report that breaks down how the United States is exploiting captive labor, and it talks about the conditions of it. And I think that's really pushed that conversation out to the forefront. But that's like talking about, you know, just the French fries in the restaurant. They got a whole menu going on over there, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, You're upset about the $11 billion a year that is generated through prison labor Think about the trillions in that that is generated just by warehousing bodies alone. Uh, some of these for-profit private prisons, which only represent a small percentage, about 8%, I think, of U.S. Uh, people who are in prison, but they're global industries now, and they are among the largest privately owned corporations on earth. The GO Group, um, also G4S, which now is owned by Allied International, I think the name of it is, which was also another prison and security companies, making them even like doubling their size overnight. Uh, G4S was already the largest private employer on the entire continent of Africa. They were actually at one time the largest private employer on three continents. But right now it's on the continent of Africa and has been so for about seven or eight years. And they're a damn prison company. How, how can you even say that and not want to make a change immediately, you know? And the conditions that other nations have to experience who have modeled their prison for profit system based on the Americans, just like the Nazis modeled Jim Crow into what they were doing, uh, they are under conditions that you don't see in your nightmares. There are videos you can find on our website at Abolition Today on YouTube that says international prisons and you can look at it yourself and see the prisoners in Ghana, in uh, Congo in South Africa who are sitting in cages uh, maybe a hundred men in a cage built for a dozen and they have to sit there with their knees to their backs that's how they exist in these cages because it's the only way they can fit Uh, they're barely fed there's no medical attention and many of them never ever see any kind of lawyers or get even a trial. They literally pick them up off the street, falsely accuse them of something, put them in his cage, collect money on them being there, and when one dies, they get another. Uh, So, yeah, go to YouTube.com, check out Abolition Today there, and look at the International Prison Playlist. You'll see it with your own eyes. This is what we've created. In the same way that Vermont started this whole shebang, with the first exception clauses, not one, but three of them, um, we also created this for-profit prison model. It got to be so so bad, and we were so arrogant with it, that when Jamaica sued for reparations, the uh, British came and said, look, here's what we'll do. We'll build you a prison. And you can consider that reparations because it's going to generate revenue for you. And they broke down how much money it would generate. That's how arrogant they are with it now. <laughs> you know, what can I say behind that? I mean, those are just actual facts, you know. So, you know, you broke it down, you know, correctly. So there's nothing to add to that, Max. 
All right. Well, what we can do, I guess, is uh, if we don't have any more questions or comment, we can go on to our next track for the evening. I believe we have one caller who wants to do one more comment. And she said she'll be brief. All right. 8762, Karen, you're back on with Abolition Today. Yeah, Max, your words were so beautiful and spoken so clearly. Um, because it is true, it's not just cages that we should be afraid of, it's hospital beds. Um, medical slavery is a thing. Uh, civil detainment is a thing. Uh, laws that um, confine you based off the fact that you have a medical mental issue is a thing. And, you know, we need to look at slavery at such a wide um wide range because clearly they're trying to find wide, what's the, what's the word, um, shoot our nets wide because clearly they are trying so many ways to enslave women. I mean, 2022 women are still giving birth in chains in prisons today, okay? They're still being unable to hold their babies after they're giving birth in prisons. Um, and a lot of these things are happening in hospital beds. So it's not just a jail cell we need to be concerned about. It's hospital beds, too, and that's a form of slavery. Medical slavery is a thing. It is a fact. It is law, too, which is the worst part of it all. So that's my brief statement about that. Let's not forget about those that are civil detainment and those that are struggling in, in hospital beds and have no ways to get relief from the courts or from the law. Let's not forget those people because they will not be forgotten. There's a whole industry where people are being institutionalized without their consent. Whole huge industry of that. But thank you, Corinne. Uh, always appreciate your words. All right. So what we're going to do next is I want to play a track from that includes Brother Kinetic Justice. Kinetic Justice was one of the co-hosts of Live from the Plantation, a revolutionary program that was sponsored by Abolition Today. And also on this page, you can find it in the archives. It went for 25 episodes. We only expected to get to two. Uh, and the reason we only expected two is because both of our hosts were literally imprisoned, and one was in solitary confinement. And they hosted this show, which included the voice of inmates from all over America calling in as abolitionists to tell their stories and their families as well. So this is a short clip from Brother Kinetic Justice who was originally from the Free Alabama Movement, and I think now he is a part of the Unheard Voices uh, group. Uh, and that's going to be followed by K. Rhino, Plantation Rebellion. Uh, so you're listening to Abolition, abolitiontoday.org. We're going to go ahead and play this track, and we'll be right back after this. Abolition, Abolition. Today. Slave is disgruntled. And it's time that he make it clear that he disgruntled. He done been justified by the federal government. He been justified by his own documentation. He been justified by his own conviction. Commit yourself to the struggle, man. Get in tune, man. Let, let's get at the table. There's some brothers at the table now, but it's a whole lot more brothers that need to come on to the table. Because it's going down. And it's going to be epic. But it can be magnificent, and it can be that phenomenon that they talked about in the Willie Lynch letter, that this will continue to go on repetitively unless there's a phenomenon to change that trajectory. We that phenomenon, man. That That's my message, you know. That's what I'm building on tonight, you know. Yeah. So we lie, lie, on the plantation. Don't worry. I'll be there in a minute. 
get on to y'all. Go. Yes, 
in many stores waiting for us to buy it. They still lick it, they just rig up laws to justify it. Yo, what's up with the water and with the air you breathe? He cut you a little years ago, how come you scared to leave? How come you think you equal? You feel like life is great. How come you call yourself Americans to fight the hate? You fell for the trick, fell for that pack of lies. How come whenever they do something sick, you act surprised? Disillusioned cause he lets you wear them suits and ties. Marry his daughter, wear his name, but when he suits you die. So, I'm saging the plantation rebellion. Rebellion. I'm saging the plantation rebellion. Rebellion. I'm saging the plantation rebellion. Come on. I'm saging the plantation rebellion. Let's go. Welcome back to Abolition Today with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan, along with our guest host, Tag Harmon. That was Kinetic Justice speaking on Slave is Disgruntled and K Rhino with Plantation Rebellion. And he said it clearly right there. You must be drinking if you're thinking I got love for Lincoln. History can prove what Honest Abe is thinking of you. Go read his writing and tell me if you think he loves you. Very clear there, Max. Lincoln was the first person I'd ever read about who declared himself a white supremacist. Uh, Literally declared that he was in favor of the supremacy of the white people. Um, Like, who is texting me in the middle of the program? Oh, horrible echo. Is the echo bad? Can you hear me good now? You're good. I echo on your end sometimes, but we'll work through uh, it. Everyone, just please okay. be patient with us. We're working on it because we have new equipment. We're working things out. Yes, we're working it out, uh, among other things. Slave is disgruntled. Uh, there was one more date in August I want to mention and honor, and that's August 19th. On August 19th, uh, we organized collectively across the country the largest slavery work rebellion in U.S. history. 24 states mm-hmm. were involved where inmates refused to. Can you stop sending me Texas, man? <laughs> where, where. All right, Tribal Rain is telling me I'm echoing like crazy. And all you can hear is Tribal Rain anyway telling me I'm echoing. <laughs> so I'm totally losing where I'm at. You're telling me I'm not echoing and she's clicking that I am. All right. Anyway, August 19th, we organized the largest slavery work rebellion in U.S. history. 24 states were involved, including Nova Scotia, where inmates refused to work. That's a plantation rebellion. It shut things down um, and uh, cost the prisons tens of millions of dollars in lost labor. Along with that, across 13 different states and cities, we had rallies that went to this and marches that went to the city hall. And the main one was in Washington, D.C. at uh, Freedom Plaza across from the White House, where I was one of mm-hmm. blessed to be one of the keynote speakers, along with Brother Robert King and Mumia even spoke via telephone there and many others. Uh, that moment was a watershed moment for the movement. 
But I want to let the people who organize that and uh, are, from what I'm, I'm hearing are interested in doing it again to just hold off on that. We're not going to do that again this year. This coming up on these elections, we want to highlight the human rights violations, the immorality of everything. They know all about the prison labor. You flex your muscles on that one and you may have to do it again, but not right now. Right now, I need y'all to show us what's going down in these prisons, the Eighth Amendment violations, the Fourth Amendment violations, the Sixth Amendment violations, mm-hmm. the brutality, the inhumanity, the conditions. Put that out for us so that the world can see what we are doing to American citizens right here on U.S. soil while we're out here talking about how other nations are so bad. So if you can get that to us, you know, you can send it to uh, Yusuf or Max at uh, abolitiontoday.org. Yusuf? That's it, Max. There's nothing to say on top of that. I'm glad you put that information out there. And again, we all have to be rolling on one accord. That's that's how we win this. That's how we, we you know, I don't even want to say it out loud, but I'm going to briefly say it out loud. Uh, the states are often saying, we don't want to see another California. And what they mean by that is California, everybody thought they were going to pass. And they got down to the literal final moment. We had enough people to vote. Uh, we had all our representatives there. We would have won the amendment, and it would be on the ballot in 2022. But instead, Governor Newsom's Department of Finance wrote a report saying it would cost California a billion and a half in revenue if they had to pay inmates like those fighting forest fires, uh, putting their lives on the line, minimum wage. That wasn't part of our bill. Our bill was to end involuntary servitude in California. There's another bill that was about wages, but nonetheless, that muddied the water. And then the Democratic Party, who runs that government, literally would not give roll call. So we never had a chance for our senators to even vote. They they extended and they talked and they put everything else in front of it until time literally ran out. How immoral and unethical can you get? But that was done to us by the Democratic Party. So the states are nervous. They don't want another California. Yusuf? So that's it. I'd you like might. to get into our closing. Yeah, like to get into our closing comments and well, our announcements. Before you, before you say that, let me just say thank you to our callers. Thank you to our listeners, mm-hmm. uh, our guest uh, host, Brother Tag Harmon here, and Tribal Rain for adding her voice for us out of court, and uh, all of the people that continue to support us. We really appreciate you. We won't be here next week, as we'll be at the release in Baton Rouge of the documentary Slave State 2022, but we will be on air with a rebroadcast. Peace. So thank you to Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, the I Am We Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, SAMA Urge Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, Prismatic Dreams, the Black Talk Radio Network, the Abolished Slavery National Network. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash Abolition Today and our Abolition Today Facebook page for all the news, information, and music you hear on the program. We're also available on all major podcast platforms. We encourage you to join the movement at abolishslavery.us to become part of the solution. You can text 
end the exception, end the exception, one word, no spaces, to 52886 and follow the prompts. And that will send a signed petition on your behalf to your congressional reps in support of the 28th Amendment to repeal and replace the exception clause to the 13th Amendment. And as Max just stated, uh, next week we'll be at the screening of Slave State down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. But you want to tune in anyway for our special recast of Live from the Plantation, one of the tremendous episodes that they've that they uh, recorded. Max and I will be back live on Sunday, July 21st, with another masterclass on slavery abolition. Uh, our bridging the gap segment tonight. How appropriate, Nat Turner and the rebellion that shook the South. That's by Mr. Betts' class. And it'll be followed by Nat Turner Rebellion, Tribute to a Slave. So, again, we'll be back live on Sunday, July 21st, with another master class on slavery abolition. And until then, think about abolition today. Peace and blessings be upon you all. Abolition. 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 August 1831, Southampton County, Virginia. The fears of the slaveholding South were realized. Rebellion. Over 70 slaves armed with knives, hatchets, and bludgeoning objects swept the pastoral countryside, killing all in their path. Their leader was a slave named Nat Turner. Born in the year 1800, Nat's mother had been kidnapped and brought from Africa, his father a slave who later escaped. He would preach to fellow slaves and even some whites, earning him the nickname Prophet, and even claimed to receive visions. When he was 22, he escaped and fled, only to return to the plantation voluntarily. When asked why, he claimed... The spirit appeared to me and said I had my wishes directed to things of this world and not to the kingdom of heaven and that I should return to the service of my earthly master. But Nat was not back to subserviently serve in bondage. He knew his purpose was to avenge those that suffered under the chains of slavery. At age 27, while working in his master's field, an intense vision befell him. The serpent is loosened. Christ laid down the yoke for the sins of man, and you shall take it up to fight against the serpent. The time is near when the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Nat began to prepare. At first confiding only in those closest to him. Then, in 1831, a solar eclipse appeared in the sky like a black fist blotting out the sun. They planned the uprising for July 4th, Independence Day. But illness befell Nat, and the insurrection was called off. That was until August of the same year, when another solar eclipse occurred and the air turned a ghastly grayish blue. This was the sign Nat was waiting for. The rebellion began a week later. 
It started the night of August 21st. The small band of slaves killed Nat's owner, Joseph Travis, his wife and son, as well as a hired worker, in their beds while they slept. After the group left, they recalled that there was one more member of the Travis family. So two slaves returned to kill the infant in its cradle. Nat felt that this violence was necessary to finally bring about the change needed to awaken abolitionist allies and shake the foundation of slavery to pieces. To Nat, this wasn't about anger. It was holy retribution. Over the next two days, the rebellion brought Old Testament carnage to the Southampton countryside, killing more than 60 whites in their path. Hundreds of federal troops and thousands of white militiamen intercepted the rebellion on its way to the center of the county's government, a town named Jerusalem. Nat managed to escape, hiding himself in the woods for over two months until he was found. Once captured, he was quickly tried, convicted, and hanged. His body was desecrated, flayed, and decapitated with his headless remains buried in an unmarked grave. Thirty other slaves and one free black man would also be convicted, 19 of them being hanged and the others sold to places far away. But this punishment paled in comparison to those African Americans that were murdered by paranoid, vengeful whites. Upwards of 200 blacks were killed by mobs during and following the rebellion. In the aftermath, some whites, including Thomas Jefferson Randolph, grandson to the third president, called for gradual emancipation to remove slavery. Instead, what followed in Virginia were even harsher codes for blacks. No jury trials for African Americans. Free blacks found guilty of crimes could be sold into slavery. And it was now illegal to teach any black to read. Many other southern states followed suit. Nat Turner's rebellion was a product of over two centuries of oppression in Virginia. While the concentrated horror committed by those in the insurrection cannot be denied, the horrors inflicted upon them and their ancestors must be remembered to begin to understand the event. It was a violent, abominable response to a violent, abominable system, and it proved the age-old truth. Evil begets evil.
Hi, my name is Jeanette Smith. I am a slavery abolitionist. Some of you may know me. I'm doing this recording because I would like to ask if any of you can help with some financial assistance. Max and Yusuf do not like to ask for money, so I would like to ask on their behalf because they and other abolitionists pull money out of their own pockets, and this is so important. So if you can help, you can find the information at the top of the Facebook page for Abolition Today. Thank you. If we'd known you all were going to be this much trouble, we would have picked our own fucking cotton.